Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. I think we do err greatly when we imagine that God is in any way angry with Job. I mean, if you really think about it, and for those of you who have been part of this study through the book of Job, has not this been what Job has been aching for and begging for the whole time? Heretofore, God has been silent. He has been yearning for God just to break that silence. Well, God has broken that silence. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Job. In the middle of your trials, it's challenging to see any good coming of them. As Pastor J.D. begins to wrap up our study of Job in today's message, we witness the culmination of Job's hardship. As horrible as his life had become at the hands of Satan, Job came through with faith and ultimately got to experience the reassuring voice of God. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Job, chapter 40, with today's study. Job chapters 40 through 42, we are going to finally, yeah, (laughs) finish the book of Job. Why don't you turn there if you're not there already? While you're turning there, I'll kind of give you a quick recap and backstory. We're going to pick it up in chapter 40. God is going to continue to speak to Job, and he's been doing this for the last two chapters, in chapters 38 and 39. And in so doing, he's questioning Job, concerning all the questioning from Job uh, in the prior chapters where Job was really pleading with God to explain to him and answer him concerning his suffering. And what's interesting is that Throughout all of this, God is never going to answer any of Job's why questions. And actually, truth be known, uh, Job isn't going to complain, and for good reason, given that God is about to restore him twice as much as, I mean, with everything that he had in the end. And one of the takeaways for me is, that God sometimes saves the best for last. It reminds me of that account when in the first miracle, Jesus turned the uh, water to wine and the host, which you have to understand in that culture, to run out of wine was unthinkable. You could never be seen in public in the community ever again because it was just shameful and disgraceful. And so when Jesus turns the water into wine, then And then to have that wine be the best at the end, which was really unheard of, because you always serve the best wine at the beginning, and then the not-so-good wine at the end. And one of the takeaways from that is, is that uh, sometimes the best is yet to come. And that's what we're going to see here for Job. One commentator said something really interesting. He said, God answered Job's heart without specifically answering Job's questions. You know, we have a lot of questions, and a lot of those questions are never going to be answered this side of heaven. 
And then here's the thing. Once we get to heaven, it's not going to make any difference. We always, you know, uh, talk about how when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, you're not. You will not ask God anything. You will just be in awe of his presence and that you are in the presence of the Lord. All right, let's jump in. Verse 1, chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. Now, this word vile in our way of understanding it means something different than what it meant in this time and in this context. It carries with it the idea of being, I am of no consequence. I am inconsequential. Uh, one commentator suggests that it, it means I am without any weight. In other words, I am just nothing. And then he says, Job says, what shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. As if to say, I, I cover my mouth, but I remain silent. And then he says, verse 5, once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then, verse 6, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, now prepare yourself like a man. This is the second time he said this. It kind of has this idea of man up. <laughs> Be a man here. He says, God says to Job, I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Now, that's kind of what he did. In all honesty, that's what he did. He seems to have in his severe and unspeakable suffering indicted God and even accused God of just being unfair in this amount of suffering in the ordeal that he was encountering. Verse 9, God says, have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look, verse 12, on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their face, faces in hidden darkness. Then I will confess also to you that your own right hand can save you. And then he says something very interesting to Job in verse 15. He says, look now at the behemoth. Now this has... Bible commentators all over the place debating whether or not this is something like a hippopotamus. Uh, some suggest it's an elephant, uh, yet others suggest that this is actually a dinosaur. And I'm, though not dogmatic, of the belief that it's the latter because of what he's going to 
describe here. And moreover, we're going to see in the next chapter this description, a graphic description of Leviathan and, and apparently this creature, this monster breathes fire. Some have suggested that it's a fire breathing dragon. One commentator uh, went as far as to suggest that this was a beast that was the likes of which that we've never seen. In other words, this was something that existed in Job's day and we don't have this, thankfully, <laughs> we don't have anything like this around anymore. So whether or not it is, we don't know, but that's not really the point. The point is, is that God's going to drive home a point here. So verse 15, look now at the behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See now his strength is in his hips and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like beams of bronze. His ribs like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring near his sword. Surely the mountains yield food for him and all the beasts of the field play there. He lies under the lotus trees in a covert of reeds and marsh. The lotus trees cover him with their shade. The willows by the brook surround him. Indeed, the river may rage, yet he is not disturbed. He is confident, though the Jordan gushes into his mouth, though he takes it in his eyes or one pierces his nose with a snare. Again, God's uh, trying to drive home a point, and he will <laughs> drive home this point. But there is something that I think we need to uh, take note of here, and that is that God is in no way being harsh or angry with Job. We talked about this in chapters 38 and 39 when God bursts onto the scene and addresses Job. Interesting, he doesn't address any of Job's friends. It has been uh, suggested that one of the reasons is, is that nowhere do we have in the book of Job where any of his friends are ever talking to God. So it would stand a reason that God would in turn not talk to them. However, we do find Job repeatedly talking to God. He's talking to them but there's times where he just breaks out into prayer and cries out to God, and he's talking to God, and now God's going to talk to him. So the point being is, is that, you know, this is a, a two-way conversation, if you will. But never imagine, never imagine that God is ever speaking in a harsh tone. I think about in the Gospels, when Jesus would repeatedly say to the disciples, Oh, you of little faith. I never imagined the Savior saying that with spite and anger in his voice. Oh, you of little faith. Could you imagine? No. I think it's a, uh, and this is the thing we, we don't have with, uh, you know, the word of God. We don't know, you know, the tone of which something was spoken in. But I really believe that when Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith, it was, more like this, oh, why did you doubt? 
Why is your faith so little? And this comports with other accounts in the Gospels where Jesus, on the other side of this, is actually remarking about the faith of others. I have not seen faith like this. And he, he points it out and, and brings it to the attention of all that are present. We know to be true from the book of Hebrews that without faith it is impossible to please God. You know what that means? That means that with faith it is possible to please God. In other words, God is pleased when we have faith. Does that mean that God is displeased when we don't? Yeah. Is Jesus displeased when he says to the disciples, Oh, you have little faith. Yes, he is. He's not angry. He's grieved. Why is he grieved? Because your faith is so little and your God is so big. Why did you doubt? When we have little faith and we lack faith, we do so to our own peril. When Jesus was in Nazareth, he could do nothing there. Why? Because of unbelief. Little faith and unbelief are the ropes that tie the hands of God's blessing on our lives in ways that we could never imagine. So again, my point is, is that I think we do err greatly when we imagine that God is in any way angry with Job. I mean, if you really think about it, and for those of you who have been part of this study through the book of Job, has not this been what Job has been aching for and begging for the whole time? Heretofore, God has been silent. He has been yearning for God just to break that silence. Well, God has broken that silence. I really believe that he's just so glad that now God is revealing himself to Job finally. After all this time, after this deafening silence. And God is revealing himself to Job in such a way so as to have him realize who Job is not and who God is. And so he brings up the behemoth. Who, and, and notice he says that I created along with you. Here's you, this little man up next to this big behemoth. I created both. <laughs> God in a, I guess you could say a sanctified way is wanting to Re make Job realize just how small he is. And, and to Job's credit, he says, you know, I am small. I am inconsequential. I am vile. I am humiliated. I, I like how one said it. Humiliation brings revelation. Humiliation brings revelation. And in this humiliation, and by the way, humiliation comes from the word humility. You might say that Job is being humbled big time here. And it's a good humility. And it's a good humiliation. And from that humiliation comes a much needed and fresh revelation of who God is and how good God is. I suppose you could say that God is bringing Job face to face with the reality of his own humanity and in so doing the reality of God's own supremacy. 
I know I've been quoting Oswald Chambers in his commentary on the book of Job, Baffled to Fight Better, quite a bit throughout this uh, study through the book, but it is a, a great commentary. I just want to share uh, one last one here. He says, There is nothing cringing in Job's attitude. It is the bowing down of a man strangely stirred in humiliation by the realization that he is face to face with that which is superior to himself. You know, throughout scripture, you have accounts of men like Job, who when they were face to face with God, I think of Peter, when he just came to that realization, he says, Lord, just get away from me. I'm a sinful man. I think about Isaiah, his response, wow. Oh, take the coal, cleanse my lips, here I am. When you're in the presence, face to face, with all that is holy, all that is all-powerful, all that is loving, it just makes you realize who you are not in light of who he is. Chapter 41, God continues, verse 1. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you leash him for your maidens? Will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons? Or his head with fishing spears? The implication in all of this is, I can. Can you, Job? Clearly a rhetorical series of questions, all of which would have the response of, no. Oh, by the way, this Leviathan is, some believe, a uh, sea dinosaur, as evidenced by the references to these fishing uh, spears. Verse 8, I like verse 8. Lay your hand on him, remember the battle, never do it again. You know what he's saying here? <laughs> if you try and take him on, you'll never do it again. It'll be the only time and the last time that you ever do it because it won't happen again. Verse 9, indeed. Any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? Did you catch that? In other words, I created this Leviathan that is the fear of anyone who would ever come anywhere near this, this monster. Yet, I, I created him. He's like a, you know, like a little toy that I, I, I play with. And uh, 
if you can stand against that, then I guess you could probably stand against me. But you can't stand against that, so you're not going to stand against me. No one, verse 10, oh, pardon me, uh, verse 11, who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power, or his graceful proportions. Who can remove his outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face with his terrible teeth all around? His rows of scales are his pride. This is the, you see the picture that's being painted on the canvas of this <laughs> description? It, it, it's, a, it's a picture of this hideous beast with scales all over it and, and terrible teeth and sharp teeth. And he says, shut up tightly as with a seal. One is so near another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together, again speaking of the scales. They stick together and cannot be parted. (laughs) This is interesting, verse 18. His sneezings flash forth light. Gesundheit. (laughs) And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lights. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke goes out of his nostrils. Are you kidding me? (laughs) A flame. I'm getting ahead of myself. As from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame goes out of his mouth. Strength dwells in his neck, and sorrow dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They are firm on him and cannot be moved. His heart is as hard as stone, even as hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, The mighty are afraid, you think? (laughs) Because of his crashings, they are beside themselves. I can imagine just the horrifying and terrifying sound of just any movement that this creature makes. Verse 26, though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail, nor does spear, dart, or javelin. How's that for a a picture? You, You try to shoot him with a spear or a dart or a javelin and those scales (laughs) just laugh (laughs) just bounce off of the thing we're so glad you tuned in to Pastor JD's teaching in the book of Job there's much more to learn but sadly that's all the time we have for on today's edition of In Spirit and Truth in the meantime you can find more messages from Pastor JD by visiting our website at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com Subscribe to our podcast while you're there and receive new messages as soon as they're made available. Did you know you can take In Spirit and Truth on the go by downloading our mobile app? In our fast-paced world, it's easy to let the time we'd spend in the Bible slip into the back of the line of things to get done in a day. 
When you download our mobile app, however, you'll have verse-by-verse studies in the Bible available right at your fingertips, ready to listen to whenever and wherever you go. You'll find a link to the app at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Keep up to date with the Midi's Prophecy Updates with our mobile app as well. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor J.D. shares current world events and how they relate to the end-time prophecies found in the Bible. The information provided is intended to stir in us an urgency to share the good news of Jesus before He returns to judge the world. There's so much to learn each week, and Pastor J.D. does a great job of getting us the information we need. Find out more on our YouTube channel at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Thanks for joining us today, and be sure to tune in next time to keep studying through Job on In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with the old wind.